You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Hey everybody, it's good to see you. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake and I get, I get to serve as the lead pastor here at Midtown Church and I'm so glad that you are joining us today, whether via Zoom or here at Baker, so that we can celebrate the resurrection together because this, this is a great day. Now I do know and just want to address right off the start here that there's, there's most likely some of you all here today uh, that aren't real sure if what we're celebrating today actually happened. And if that's you, then I just want you to hear me say that we're really glad you're here. That you don't have to believe what we believe uh, in order to connect with us, in order to come on Sundays, in order to be our friends, okay? Like, we, we are okay if you disagree with us. We hope that you will still want to hang out with us. We want you to know that we still want to hang out with you, okay? So we're really glad that you're here. Also, I want you to know that uh, your questions are welcome here, okay? So if you want to, like, if you've got questions about the resurrection or any other aspect of the Christian faith, uh, we invite you to ask those questions. You won't offend us. In fact, we like having conversations about that, okay? We promise not to argue with you. We just want to have a meaningful conversation with you. We're happy to do that. So you will not offend us. Ask your questions. Please ask your questions. If you're going to offend us with anything, it would be trying to, like, put on a false face and act like you believe you don't. And you're trying, like, don't do that. Just be genuine, be real, we'll be real, and we can be real friends, okay? Cool? So, again, really glad that you're here. Now, I did want to say that because today in the message, I'm not going to really address reasons to believe that the resurrection actually happened. That's not the focus of this message. But if you have questions about that, you're not sure if it actually happened, you want to talk about that, I just want you to know, I'd love to talk to you about that. I'd stick around after the service, we can talk about it, or we can set up a time during this week to get together, or if you don't want to talk with me, that's okay, I'll get you connected with someone else in our church that you can talk with. So I just really want to encourage you, if that's something that you're interested in exploring, please don't put that off. That's like one of the most important things, I would argue, the most important thing to explore. Did Jesus really rise again? So don't put that off, especially in light of what I'm going to be addressing this morning. See, this, this morning's uh, message is, is really focused on the reason why what happened on, on resur- on, when Jesus rose again, why that actually matters to you. To you, no matter who, who you are, whether you're a Christ follower or whether you're a skeptic or you're undecided or you don't believe, it, still, what we're celebrating today, what happened, if Jesus rose again, it really does matter to you. And here's why it matters to you. Because if Jesus really rose again, it means that we can have a confident hope that things are going to get better. If Jesus rose again, it means we have a confident hope that things are going to get better. And don't you want things to get better? <laughs> don't, don't you want things to be the way that they're supposed to be? Don't you want things to be healed? Aren't you tired of all this brokenness? Aren't you tired of this pandemic? <laughs> Aren't you tired of virtual schooling your sixth grade sons and trying to teach them algebra when you don't remember how to do algebra? That might just be me, but I am tired of that. But, the rest, but seriously, like for real, Aren't we tired of disease and death? Aren't we tired of hatred 
racism, injustice? Aren't we tired of loneliness and broken relationships and, and, and depression? And aren't we wanting, longing for things to be better, for the broken things to be made right? And that's what we really want, is it not? Well, friends, we want that. I want that. But I think there's something in us that fears that those desires are going to go unmet. That perhaps the idea that things really will get better, especially to the degree that the broken things will be made right, will actually happen. We think maybe, maybe that's just wishful thinking. I mean, we get excited about the COVID vaccine coming out, right? Because, I mean, that's at least some, some hope that, man, things really will get better at, or at least things are going to get back to normal. But again, if we're really honest, we don't just want back to normal. <laughs> we want new and improved. We want, uh, we want not just bodies and disease healed, but we want systems healed and relationships healed and a bunch of other things healed. But we're afraid that those, those, those desires are going to go unfulfilled. We fear that it's just naive fantasy. It's just wishful thinking. But, friends, it's not. It's not. And it's not because of what we are celebrating on this day. See, uh, because of the resurrection, we can have a confident hope that one day, Everything will be made right, and everything will be healed. The pastor and author uh, Tim Keller, in his latest book, I brought it up here with me, Hope in Times of Fear, highly recommend you check this book out. But in this book, he has this quote. I just want to uh, share it with you. He says this, The resurrection was a miraculous display of God's power. But we should not see it as a suspension of the natural order of the world. Rather, it was the beginning of the restoration of the natural order of the world, the world as God intended it to be. That since humanity turned away from God, both the human and natural worlds have been dominated by sin and evil, disorder and disease, suffering and death. But... When Jesus rose from the dead, he inaugurated the first stage of his restoring work that will result in the healing of all things. See, friends, one of the main reasons for why we celebrate Easter is because it is a celebration of the event that marked the beginning of the restoration of the world. That for the, mo that for the moment when Jesus rose again, he overcame sin and death, and he set into motion God's restoring work that will ultimately culminate in the healing of all things. And so because of the inaugurating event that will lead to the healing of all things has already happened, we can have confident hope that one day all will be made right. See, it's like the first and most essential domino has fallen. And now the outcome is determined. We are just waiting for it to arrive. Lately, uh, my little uh, daughter, second grade, she has taken to uh, singing opera in the shower. 
And so she takes a shower. You can just count down the minutes until you start hearing the opera come. It's this one comes after another. If it's a shower, then we're going to hear opera all throughout the house because she belts it out. Well, guys, (laughs) that's what we have. That's why we have a confident hope with Jesus. Now, it's probably kind of a little bit of a short of an illustration there, but I'm telling you, because one thing happened, we can know another thing is going to happen. That right now, where we are is we're in the in-between time. We are living between the inauguration of the restoration of the world and the culmination of the restoration of the world. And because it has been inaugurated, it will be culminated. And so, in this in-between time, what Jesus is primarily doing is he's working to restore people to himself. Now, we may wish that he would just hurry up and restore all the things that's broken. You know, just restore the whole, the whole world. But see, God knows this. He knows that in order for all of that that's out there that's broken, in order for that to be healed, this in here has to first be healed. Because the sin and self-centeredness of the human heart is the root that all other brokenness in the world stems from. And so in order to heal all that's broken out there, Jesus is first in this first stage after inaugurating the restoration world. What he's doing now is he's restoring people back to God that we can have the relationship with God that we were meant to. To have, that we can be restored to God. And when we are restored to God, Jesus begins to bring change into our hearts, changing us so that we can then eventually partner with God in bringing his restoration to the rest of the world. And so when Jesus came out of the grave, when he walked out of the tomb, that's what he began working on right away, which is why. After his resurrection, he came after his friend Peter in order to make things right between him and Peter. And this morning, we're going to look at this interaction between Jesus and Peter, for it serves as a great case study for us. A case study that shows us that what Jesus is doing as soon as he (laughs) rose again, that he is all about restoring people to himself and then inviting those people he's restored to himself to join him in his work of bringing restoration. That what we see in this passage, and we're going to be in John chapter 21, if you want to go there in your Bible, also have the words up here on the select. But what we're going to see in this interaction is what Jesus does with Peter is what he wants to do with you and me. And that it all is a part of his restoring work that he inaugurated when he walked out of the tomb. So, if you will, go to John chapter 21. And as you go there, let me just set up the scene a little bit for you, okay? Because you got to understand why there, needed, there was a need for some restoration between Jesus and Peter. Why things were not right between them. Why Jesus had to go and bring restoration to this guy. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you, you're aware probably that, G, that Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, which means that Peter was one of Jesus' uh, closest friends. And on the night that uh, Jesus would be arrested, the day before he would be crucified, 
Jesus gathered his close friends, his disciples, together to share the Passover meal with them, to have dinner. And at that meal, Jesus tells his disciples that they're going to abandon him, that they're going to run away from him, betray him. And Peter, this is, listen, listen to this guy. He gives you a little taste of what, he, what he's like. He says, to, in front of all the other disciples, he says to Jesus, hey, even if all of them fall away on account of you, I never will. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Like, Jesus, I don't know about these other guys, these losers. Uh, they probably will abandon you, but, man, not, not me. No, I'll, I, would, I will die first before I ever leave you. That's how loyal I am. But Jesus turns to Peter and says, hey, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now, guess who was right, Peter or Jesus? All four gospel accounts of Jesus' life tell us that, G that Peter did deny Jesus three times. That on the night, that later that night, Jesus is arrested. He's taken to, uh, uh, before the high priest. Peter is able to sneak into the courtyard of where this kangaroo court is being held. And he's hiding off in the distance. And as he's off in the distance, warming himself by a fire, he gets asked multiple times, Hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? Aren't, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? And not once, not twice, but three times he denies it. He rejects Jesus. In fact, the Gospel of Mark tells us that on the third time, he actually does this. this it says, he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Now, when it says he began to call down curses, who was he calling down curses on? The people that, he was, that were asking him if he is one of Jesus' disciples? No. no. He was calling down curses on Jesus. See, in that shame and honor culture, if you really were one of Jesus' followers, you would never curse that man. So everyone that's listening in says, man, I sure thought that I saw you with him, but if you're going to call out curses on Jesus, there's no way that you had ever had anything to do with him. Like this, do you feel, friends, how wrong this is? Like here is Jesus on the, at the moment where he would need a loyal friend the most, where he is being falsely tried right before he's going to be sentenced to crucifixion. And here Peter is, one of his best friends, rejecting him outright, calling out curses on him. Now, because of that, when Jesus dies... And then when he rises again, Peter carries with him shame and guilt past the resurrection. You see, in John chapter 20, the, the, the chapter before the passage we're going to look at eventually this morning, I promise we're going to get there, John 21. But um, in, in John 20, it's the story of Jesus' resurrection. 
And what we hear is that, that Jesus rises again. He, he appears to Mary Magdalene first. Then he, he appears to the disciples, including Peter, two different times. And when they see him, they're all extremely overjoyed. I mean, they can't believe that like, Jesus is risen again. They didn't expect it. And yet here he is, and they are just unbelievable. And it means that Jesus is all that he said he is, and that he's dead. Everything he said he was going to do, that he's God the Son, that he really has paid for the sins of the world, that he's risen again. And like, this is a Incredible. They're all overjoyed, as they should be. Except in John 21, something happens that lets us know that Peter, even though he's, yes, excited that Jesus is risen again, he's also full of shame and guilt to the point that he just feels like my relationship with Jesus is broken without, with beyond repair, and so I'm out of here. See, John 21, finally. Here's how it begins. Verse 1. It says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, that's our guy. Thomas, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's, that's James and John. And two other disciples were together. And then look at what Peter says. Verse 3. I'm going out to fish. Now, some of y'all in here, y'all are thinking, man, that's, that's, that's my type of guy, right? I mean, that's a good thing to do after Easter. Let's, let's go fishing, right? But the reason this is significant for Peter is because uh, before Jesus called him to be one of his disciples, to be one of his followers, Peter's trade was that as a, as a fisherman. And so when Peter says, okay, I'm going out to fish, he's saying, okay, I'm going back to my old life. Like, I can't be a follower of Jesus any longer. Like, I certainly excited that he's risen again, but, like, I can't act like what I did just a few days ago didn't happen. Like, I rejected Jesus, and Jesus knew I was going to do it. He predicted it, and then I did it. He knows how I've abandoned him, and I know how I've abandoned him, and I can't act like that didn't happen, and so I can't just like all of a sudden think things are good between me and him. I'm out of here. I have to go back to my whole way of living. So he says, I'm going out to fish. He's torn up with guilt and with shame. Now, friends, let me ask, can y'all relate with that at all? Maybe not to that degree, I don't know. But I don't know what this past year has done to your relationship with Jesus, your friendship with Jesus. But as a pastor and interacting with y'all and many other people, I've seen that very few people felt like this year has actually caused your relationship with Jesus to thrive. That most people feel more distant now than they did about a year and a year and a half ago in your relationship with Christ. And that some of you may have walked away from Jesus. Some of you may have just punted the faith. Some of you have maybe just grown really cold in your relationship with Jesus. For some of y'all, Jesus may just have decreased in importance. And you've begun to treat him as if he isn't all that important. And perhaps on this Easter morning, you feel a little guilt or shame about that. Well, friends, that's what Peter felt times 10. Like he is carrying all of this guilt 
for how he has rejected Jesus. So he says, I'm going out to fish. Now, thankfully, Peter has some good friends. And so they don't just let him go off by himself. And so the rest of verse 3 says this, they, meaning the other six disciples that were with him, said, hey, we'll go with you. And so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, okay, think think about this real quick. If you are in Jesus' shoes, what would you do with Peter? Like if it's me and Peter has rejected me at my greatest time of need, denying me that he has anything to do with me, not once, not twice, but three times, then I'm like, you know what? I'm done with you, (laughs) right? And like maybe, maybe, maybe if you come groveling back to me, then maybe I can find myself to forgive you, but I'm certainly not coming and pursuing you. You're the one who rejected me. Like I am done with you, but friends, Jesus is not like me, thankfully. I hope to be like him, but here's what he's like. He's the great restorer. And he comes after Peter to bring restoration to their relationship so that things between Jesus and Peter are, can be how they were meant to be. And the way that Jesus does this is so powerful and so personal. I just love this. Look, look at what happens. Verse 4 says, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, the person who wrote the Gospel of John, and there are a lot of comments that can be made about that phrase, but I'm going to keep on going. He says, the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, is this the Lord? And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. Now, now that's kind of weird, isn't it? Right? I mean, why does Peter basically pull a cannonball into the water and start swimming to Jesus. Well, I mean, wasn't he just running from Jesus full of guilt and shame, thinking that Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with him, right? And yet here he is. He, he dives in to get to Jesus as fast as he could possibly go. Why? Well, here's why. In Luke 5, we're given the story when Jesus first invited Peter to be his disciple. Now, Justin read this passage for us last week, but I, it's so good, I, I want to go back to it this morning. Because here, Here's what it says in Luke chapter 5, verse 4. It says, when he had finished speaking, talking about Jesus, who was teaching by the, this Lake Sea of Galilee, and he had just finished teaching, and he turned to Simon, and that's our guy, Simon Peter. And he says, put into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Does that sound familiar? But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Does that sound familiar? And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled their boats, both boats, so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And then Jesus said to Simon, 
Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, and they left everything and followed him. Now do you see why Peter flung himself into the water? It's because Jesus had reenacted his initial call for Peter to follow him. And as Peter is swimming like a madman to the shore, I am positive that his, he's thinking about what his initial response was to Jesus. How he said, go away from me, I'm a sinful man. And how Jesus had, instead of walking away from Peter, said, no, no, come with me. Now be my disciple and invited him into relationship. And now here's Peter swimming to Jesus on the shore, and he is now, Peter is even more aware than he has ever been. What a sinful man he is. And yet he knows that Jesus has come after him to restore him into relationship. That he is now certain That Jesus, who knows him fully, knows what he has done, and yet still accepts him as he is. That's what causes him to swim to him. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. For they were not far from shore, just about 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. And so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, hey, come and have breakfast. Uh, So what does Jesus say to a soaking, wet, disloyal, shame-filled disciple? He says, hey, come and have breakfast. And see, in the ancient times, the invitation to share a meal together was very significant. Like even today, it's a very friendly gesture. But in ancient times, the offer to share a meal together was a pledge of friendship. That this is Jesus saying to Peter, hey, I want things between us to be right. I want us to experience restoration in our relationship. I want things to be the way that they ought to be between me and you. Now, here's the question. How can Jesus offer Peter this kind of restoration? Is it because Jesus is just really nice? (laughs) Well, he is. He's really nice. But it's not like Jesus is just saying, well, hey, let's just, you know, I know what you did, but it's not a big deal. I'm not going to hold it against you. Don't worry about that. See, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin, meaning the penalty for breaking God's law, is death. Like, it's a big, big deal. And so here, Jesus, God the Son, he's not going to say, okay, what you did, because it's not a big deal, because it was a big deal. It was sin. It was deserving of the penalty of death. And so how, in light of that, can Jesus offer Peter this kind of restoration into friendship with, with him? Well, it's because Jesus had just paid for Peter's sin. See, in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, 
Alice and Cliff read from that earlier today. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, if Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sins. Which means that because Christ has been raised, we are not in our sins if we are in him. See, this is why the risen Jesus could offer Peter restored relationship with him. He had made the way for Peter to have the relationship with him that Peter was meant to have. He had made the way by dying and rising again. And friends, this is also why Jesus can offer us the same. That no matter what you've done, for he has paid the penalty for your sins in full, so that now he, the great restorer, can offer you the ability to have relationship with him that you were meant to have, that you can be restored to God. All you have to do is simply receive his invitation. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 says this, Jesus speaking, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And friends, that's all we have to do. <laughs> Open the door and receive the invitation by trusting that he died and that he rose for you and he will then restore you to him. And as amazing as that is, Jesus' restoring work doesn't even stop there. See, so look down at verse 15 in the same chapter. After eating breakfast together, we read this. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, these verses are known as Jesus' reinstatement of Peter. And there's a lot going on in this interaction, but in order to not make you late for your Easter lunch, I'm just going to keep it down, I'm going to just boil it down to one big point. See, in this interaction, Jesus is giving Peter an opportunity, in a sense, to counteract his former threefold denial of Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't ask three times if Peter loves him because Jesus is unsure if Peter loves him. And we know this, and, Peter, and we even know that Peter knew this because Peter's response each time is this, yes, Lord, I love you. You know that I love you. See, the reason that Jesus asked Peter three times, even knowing that it would hurt Peter, but not hurt in the sense of like trying to twist the knife, but in the sense of as a surgeon with the scalpel, removing what was there that was causing the obstacle. He was bringing life back to Peter and restoring him, not just to a relationship with Jesus, as amazing as that is, but actually restoring Peter to a place of leadership, to where he could 
partner with Jesus in his restorative work. You see, earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes this statement, I am the good shepherd. And yet here, the good shepherd is saying to Peter, the one who was disloyal to him, he says, no, 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 now I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to take care of my people. That's who he's talking about. See, Jesus is reinstating Peter as a partner in ministry. That Peter would be a leader that Peter would partner with Jesus in his work in the world, that we would then begin, like Peter, this is how it applies to us, is that like Peter, if Jesus would reinstate Peter to a place where not only he's restored to Jesus, but that he's also called to partner with Jesus in bringing restoration to the world, then we too, my friends, because of the grace of Jesus, are not just offered a restored relationship with Jesus, but also offered the invitation to partner with Jesus in bringing restoration to others and to our world. See, Jesus, on that very first Easter Sunday, walked out of the tomb having inaugurated the restoration of the world. And that one day, because it has begun, it will come to fulfillment. But from that point, when he walked out of the tomb, he has been on mission to bring restoration to, uh, to people with him. And then he calls those people to join him in his restorative work that we can bring restoration to others and to our this is amazing. This is, this is why we have hope that things are going to get better and we can know that things will be better between us and God because of what Jesus has done for us. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done or what you've not done, because our restoration to Jesus is not based on what we do for him, but based on what he has done for us. And because of what he's done for us, we can be restored to him and then partner with him in his mission to bring restoration. What Peter did for, what Jesus did for Peter, he wants to do with you. And what Jesus offered Peter to do with him, he offers us to do with him as well. And so friends, if you are here and you recognize, like I've, I've never, I've never been restored to Jesus. Like, I've never had a relationship with Jesus. I don't even know really, like, what that looks like, but I, but I want that. I, if things can be right between me and him, I want that. Then I would say, all you have to do is receive the invitation. To say, I, I, I trust that you died for me and rose again, that I can be made right with you. And he promises you that at that moment, you are restored to him. And he comes into your life and begins to change your heart and invites you to partner with him in his restorative work. And for the rest of you, if you say, okay, I, I have a relation with Jesus, but my relation with him has grown cold or distant or it's not where I want it to be, he says to you, come to me. Come. 
Let's have breakfast. See, because I'm not going to hold that against you. I have paid for that. Come to me. Be restored. And then let's partner together to bring restoration. And friends, I hope that you will receive his offer. I am excited about what Jesus is doing in Midtown Church. Because our heart, our desire is to partner with Jesus for the renewal, the restoration of others and for our city and world. And then because of who Jesus is and what he's invited us into, we get to partner with him in that. And when, and not only that, but we get to partner with him in that with incredible confidence. Because we can have a confident hope. And one day, everything will be made better. And everything that is broken will be healed. Why? Because Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. For what he has done for us. That he uh, took our place. On the cross, he paid the debt for our sin that we could be forgiven so that, and he was risen so that because he was, we are no longer in our sins if we're in him. God, we give you praise not only for what he's done for us, but what it means and what you're doing in the world that we can have a confident hope that one day everything will be better. That Jesus, you're making all things new. And God, I pray that you would find in us a people that will be Receive your invitation to be restored back to you and receive your invitation to join you, partner with you, and bring a restoration to others and to our city and our world. Now, we long for the day when everything's made right. We thank you that we can be confident that that day is coming. Help us partner with you to work toward that end for your glory and the good of all, of all others. In Christ's name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.